0: And welcome back to The City Skinny, the film podcast from the people behind The Skinny. It's Jamie Dunn here, and I've broken away from our usual recording schedule to visit the Glasgow Film Festival, which is currently in full swing. And one of the most exciting films to emerge from the festival so far has been How to Blow Up a Pipeline, Daniel Goldhaber's ticking time bomb thriller following an idealistic group of young people drawn from all across America who gather in Texas for a bout of sabotage on a key oil pipeline. The film is adapted from Andrea Mamm's non fiction book of the same name, which takes the form of a political manifesto which argues that the next moral step in climate change activism must be industrial sabotage against the capitalist entities causing the climate crisis. Daniel Goldhaber co wrote the film with Jordan Jol, actor Ariella Barra, and editor Daniel Garber, turning this manifesto into a thriller that toggles between the nerve shredding execution of the group's sabotage to quiet moments of flashback which revealed the individual circumstances that brought each character to take this radical action. The cast is a who's who of upcoming talent, including Sasha Lane, Forrest Goodluck, Lucas Gage, and co-writer Ariel Barra. And the film absolutely rocks. You can hear our review of it on the previous edition of Cine Skinny. but here is my interview from the Glasgow Film Festival with director Daniel Goldhaber and editor Daniel Garber. And I begin by asking Goldhaber, How he approached adapting Andreas Mann's radical political ideas and turning him into a nail-biting political thriller. So I, I guess a good place to start would be the book, so how to blow up a pipeline is based on and raised mom's political manifesto, the same name. I can't think of many films that use a manifesto as a starting point. Um, I'm just wondering what was the inspiration to turn those kind of radical ideas into a, a kind of thriller?
1: Yeah, I mean it was really I think a collective effort. Um, you know, Jordan Scholl, who's one of the writers and producers of the film, uh, is an academic. Um, he actually he's finishing up his dissertation at uh, at Duke right now, and he had always kind of you know wanted uh, to adapt an academic text into a film i think you know kind of half jokingly half half you know not and he had recommended the book to me and ariella for another project that we were kind of talking about and i i started reading it and kind of immediately had this image of some kids in the desert struggling with a bomb and kind of it was just one of those like lightning bolt moments where you're like what if we took this and adapted it into a narrative feature and And that kind of kicked off a few months of research. And then, and then Ariella uh you know after kind of we had a sense of like what we wanted to do and how we wanted to tackle it you know was the one who kind of cracked the opening 10 pages you know the kind of sequence where everybody's leaving their lives behind in that kind of fast pace and 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 also just literally you know she kind of just dreamed up the ensemble you know kind of based on the research that we'd been doing so it was really you know the three of us and then you know as the entire process was in conversation with dan and kind of you know hashing out the ideas and the approach you know so at the end of the day i I think the project more than anything was born out of a political moment which was you know coming out of a year of lockdown and a year of kind of you know just like feeling extremely politically creatively and professionally powerless and wanting to feel like we all wanted to make something but we all wanted to make something that felt actually relevant and I think the idea of taking a kind of leftist manifesto and bringing it into the mainstream felt like it was a very appropriate moment to do that.
0: I think if I was gonna use one word to describe the film, it would be urgent, you know? Everything about it has this urgent quality and I guess this sounds like that's the quality you wanted to communicate, like through the editing, through the pacing. Um can you talk about creating that urgency in the film?
2: Yeah, I mean <laughs> the editing was certainly a big a big part of the process of, of creating this sense of urgency, but I do think that this is a place where everything that's happening behind the scenes really affects the way that something comes across on screen. I mean it felt like it felt like pulling off a heist to actually make the film. It was incredibly quick from conception to delivery. I mean, uh, I think Danny first talked to me about it about eighteen months before before he premiered the film. And it's amazing that they managed to finance it so quickly and put the entire cast together and then the edit, while not Super compressed was also, you know it was it was a <laughs> diligent, fast pace that we were working at. And I think that a lot of this sense of the sense of urgency that we feel around climate change and around taking some kind of meaningful action really translated into the, this the sense of pacing and rhythm that the editing communicates.
1: Dan and I went to college together. we We studied film together and we studied with a, an extraordinary French filmmaker named Philippe Grandview. Um, who who's not super well-known um, outside of France, but he's he's kind of an avant-garde French filmmaker, and he, he kind of had a lot of these, like, Yoda-esque aphorisms that, that he had kind of built around film and filmmaking in the process. And, and one of the big ones that, you know, whenever we were really feeling stressed about our thesis films that he would come back to is that if a film is to be transformative for its audience, it has to be equally as transformative for the filmmakers, and that the way that the film is transformative is reflected in the transformation of the process. And so I think that that's something that, for Dan and I, has been a key to, you know, just the way that we think about making work and was absolutely a cornerstone of this.
0: Yeah, and the film has this amazing structure as well um, where it kind of cuts from these kind of, this kind of nail-biting plot about the kind of pipeline being sort of sabotaged to kind of flashbacks which explain each character. And I, and I feel that those works almost like a to like release the tension in a way you know so can you talk about that kind of structure because i feel if it was straightforward (laughs) nail-biter it would almost be hard to watch so so can you talk about when did when did that idea to have the flashback structure come in
1: that happened relatively early in the writing and development process you know we had originally i think the thought of only doing one flashback and as you're kind of identifying you know having it just kind of be more set in the real time but i think that what we kind of discovered in the writing process was that there was so much character and background that was so critical to this film and trying to find a way to shoehorn all of that into the live action like the the, the real time material the operation felt totally phony and so the the flashbacks originally kind of going into each character's backstory that was more of a at first, kind of a practical solve to just how do we get all this material into the film. But then very quickly, it became something that we felt was actually, you know, would would heighten the tension and also just change up the rhythm. So all of that was stuff that was, you know, all of those cuts into the flashback were scripted and never actually changed. But in the edit, getting it all to still work was extremely challenging. Yeah
2: it was one of these things where early on in the edit we basically said you know this is the idea for how this can work and it's either going to work relatively well from day one and we'll kind of know that or it's just not going to work at all and we'll have to scrap the whole thing and figure out some new crazy structure for the piece and i think we discovered pretty quickly that it was going to work but getting it getting the pacing exactly right so that you know, you do have these kind of ebbs and flows and tension, and the flashbacks aren't overstaying their welcome, and you're also not wearing down people too much with just the driving tension before they get the emotional hook. Um, I mean, all of those kinds of things were really hard to balance in the edit, but uh, I think that was that was kind of a testament to our
1: collaboration during the process of finishing it. Yeah, I think the reason it's so hard is because when you're kind of breaking from the real time to introduce this like slightly more didactic and theoretical and emotional things about the characters and you're going back to the film. I think it's also very, very challenging to kind of sift through the feedback because the audience is kind of building the story of the movie in their head as the movie is kind of going and so you'll find that like if something is broken early on in like the Sochi flashback with Michael flashback that can completely catapult the audience out of the actual flow of the film because you know it's so fragile because then if, if they're coming out of that flashback with the wrong feeling they're their understanding of Sochi as a character and what like kicked off this whole thing is just kind of wrong, and that, that was true for kind of all of the flashbacks. So getting the balance of also just the information was really challenging.
0: I the describe the film as a thriller, but it's almost kind of like a western as well. You know, this kind of Texas landscape you know, you use the vistas, you use the kind of the, the, the atmosphere of that land really well, you know, it reminds me of like East of Eden or something at times. Was, was there influences, visual influences, what other films that, that you were kind of thinking about when you were putting this together?
1: The big one was the Brisky Point, the Antonioni movie. I mean, we, we were definitely thinking about westerns. Ariella had been writing a western when we started this and like that was something that was kind of rolled into it so we had been talking about westerns and um again this this project kind of emerged from like me ariella and jordan being like holed up over the holidays in 2020 together kind of potted up watching movies and just talking about what we actually like wanted to do in cinema um this is definitely like a merge of all of those ideas um but in terms of the actual way that we were thinking about kind of young radicals in western american landscapes it was it was all you know it was Zabriskie, was and even if you think about kind of the, the red barrel, like there's a very similar use of red and Zabriskie Point, and you know, we, we were always kind of thinking about the way that we were like engaged in that film, because I, I do think that that's one of the best movies about 70s radicalism that was made. Love that film.
0: And, and visually, it also looks amazing, and I guess part of that is to do with the, the 16 millimeter cinematography. Did you come to that early? Did you realise that you had to shoot on film?
1: We were actually thinking digital, I I very kind of, once we had finished the first draft of the script, I, I shared it with um, my friend Kate Arismendi who shot my first film, and she was off doing another project at the time, and um, um, we were just talking about it, and, and I was talking about kind of, you know, thinking of shooting it on digital, and, and to kind of make it doc-esque, and, and Kate had a really good point, which was she was essentially like, if you shoot this on digital in natural sun, light the only way to get it to look good is going to be to color it like a Levi's commercial and you're not you're going to be fighting that the entire time like digital hates the sunlight film loves the sunlight and that if you want to do something that feels like it's actually happening like it's real like there's a tactile immediacy to it especially in daylight shooting on film will actually summon that feeling of reality much more immediately than digital, um, because of you know the way you'll have to manipulate the image digitally, and I mean that was that was kind of what immediately shifted my perspective there. So it was before we actually started really production. It was like kind of almost immediately after finishing the script, and then you know it was just a matter of figuring out how to make that work.
0: I, I just love the cast you brought together. Um, you know, it's like an amazing bunch of. Actors who are just about to, I think, go into the stratosphere. Basically, um, can you talk about putting that cast together? Like, um, did you have actors in mind? We did, and I mean, I, I,
1: I, really want to credit like Ariella too. Like, she, 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 you know, is it is in the film and writer and, and a producer. But she has an extraordinarily keen eye and understanding for 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 casting, among many other things. But she, she was. Um, uh, we definitely had some of these people in mind writing the script. Um, and, and uh, you know, especially, like, I think Sasha and Forrest were two people for, for Michael and Theo that we had kind of always taught, oh, what if we could get them? Um, but I think that um, we were also, because of how quickly the movie came together, we were also, like, trying to, like, talk to actors even while we were writing and, and just kind of seed the movie with them. So we met with most of the cast in the writing process, and then we're lucky enough to find the, the rest of the people shortly after finishing the
0: script. What I kind of appreciate is that you don't make them all angels, you know, like I think uh, sometimes, uh, you know, you know, environmental activists can be portrayed as like sort of do-gooders or something like that, and I love how uh, they're all a bit foolhardy, you know, and I guess they maybe you have to be to do something like this, you know, so they get drunk before the heist, or uh, uh, the sabotage, sorry, and they uh, and you know, two of them start out filling around during the... During the the mission as well, um, but yeah, I guess I guess the idea of having flawed characters makes them more interesting. Was that was that the idea too?
1: Yeah, that was like a cornerstone of. I mean, I think that when we started the project, it was also like we wanted to have our. We, we, we were thinking like, who would go do something like this? And I think the first answer we had was we kind of have to assume that. It's us. It's like it's kind of us and our friends and the people we know and the communities we're part of, you know, going out and doing this. And that's like kind of the only script that we can write. So you know, even the research that we were doing, it was all stuff that was in our arms' reach. You know, so we were bringing in cultural consultants and people who come from very different backgrounds from ourselves. But it was still all about you know, what what do we know and what do we understand. Um, And so, you know, a big part of that is that, you know, people are complicated and people who engage in activism are complicated and the reasons for it are complicated. But ultimately, I think that the more important organizing concept for us was this idea that I think that usually movies about this, where they are digging into the complexity of the people engaging in an act, are tragedies. And they're about how that kind of complexity leads to downfall, to infighting, to failure. And I think that what we really wanted to do with this film and I think it was one of our prime directives was do the opposite of that to see how all these different backgrounds and all this complexity and all, you know, all of these character foibles or you know, things are actually things that are what make the group tick and what makes the group work and that diversity of backgrounds is the only way that this could have been pulled off quite the way that it goes and so I think that that was, that was really um, really important to us. Yeah.
2: I also think that the culture of hero worship does a great disservice to people who are actually trying to make change in the world. And I think uh, it's very easy in the media, I think, to latch on to narratives of people being either purely heroic or purely villainous. But the reality has to be much more complicated than that. And we have to be willing to praise people's actions independent of like an assessment of them as full people too. So I think the film sort of represents the that slightly more complex attitude towards the process of making change in the world. It's not about being a you know a Marvel superhero. It's about simply doing the right thing in this moment.
0: Yeah, I felt by the end of the film that I I, I wanted to blow up a pipeline. You know, I I could blow up a pipeline almost. It was so detailed. But I definitely felt like I felt riled up. You know, and I think I think up a big problem but activism and sort of climate changes you feel sort of you don't have any power so is that, is that sort of the aim of the film to sort of show people you have you do have agency you can do things you know maybe not pipeline but certainly it's, you want to rile up an audience is that what you're hoping to do
1: yeah I think that's very well said i think i think that you know uh i think the movie was absolutely kind of conceptualized as a counterpoint to doomism and i think that's also for me that's the way i felt reading the book is I think that you know Andreas does this extraordinary job of not just you know creating a historical basis for action like this, but also identifying a justifiable target. You know, this this thing of, you know, I think that one of the reasons we feel so powerless is it's like there is no one government or business or person um, or even system that you can attack because we all participate in in you know climate disruption to some greater and lesser degrees. And I think that, you know, what he does is he creates this historical basis for, you know, sabotage, property destruction. And then says, well, what do we actually go after? What's the target? Well, it's the infrastructure. It's the machines that are killing us. And I think that what comes out of that is, a, again, a sense of agency. And that's really, I think, empowering. And I think, as you're saying, it's not empowering just to. I think it's really just important to have hope. And it's important for me that, like, even in the face of all of the inaction, even in the face of, you know, increasing extreme weather events and deaths and all of that, um, if you do look at the historical record, by that standard, we haven't even really started to fight. And that I think it's in that idea that there's a sense of, like,
0: hope. So a big thank you to Daniel Goldhaber and Daniel Garber for speaking to us. If you missed How to Blow Up a Pipeline at Glasgow Film Festival, don't worry. The film will be released in the UK sometime in the spring via vertical releasing. And for more information on what to see at the Glasgow Film Festival, head to theskinny.co.uk slash film for all our GFF coverage. That's been all from me. Thanks a lot and see you next time. Bye.